Welcome to Hashtag Human Podcast, the podcast where we look at all the things that can, can, can come up for us on our road to success. Those human tendencies that have us feeling like we are not perfect. We're not exactly the way we should be. Today, I have a very special guest I'll be chatting to, the amazing Serene Keneally. <laughs> Serene is an Australian writer living on Gadigal country with a fascination for history, travel, ritual, and the myth and magic of ancient places and cultures. She's the author of the Into the Mist and Into the Storm trilogies, original fairy tales, The Swan Maiden and The Snow Queen's Daughter, plus the non-fiction books Fairy Magic, Mermaid Magic and Witchy Magic with Lucy Cavendish, um, which is really interesting because I actually contributed to some of those books as well. Small, small parts, but that's how long we've been acquainted. <laughs> um, she also has her Seven Sacred Sight books, A Magical Journey, and the Meditation CD's Sacred Journey. She was nominated for the Australian Fairy Tale Society Award for The Swan Maiden, finally conquered her fear of public speaking to appear on panels at Comic-Con and IndieCon, and has two Oracle decks coming out later this year, which I was like, OMG. <laughs> That's so exciting. So um, let's just start by, um, would you mind introducing yourself uh, to those that are listening today, um, Serene, and tell us a little bit about you, the, the person. Sure. Um, I live in Sydney now. I was born here but grew up in Western Australia down in a little country town called Margaret River, which isn't so small now, but when I was there it was. <laughs> um, but I came back to Sydney. I've been a journalist. Um, I did politics and journalism at uni and then have been writing for everything from Dolly Magazine to Women's Day, um, heavy metal mags. <laughs> um, and at the moment I'm working for Australian Geographic part-time, uh, working on their books and stuff. So I've always been writing. Um, and, yeah, about 10 years ago I started writing books, which kind of came out of the journalism. So that was how that all started. Um, and, yeah, I live in the city but I love nature, so <laughs> I'm really happy. I've got a beautiful park across the road from us, which is where... There's a little swan family, which inspired my swan maiden fairy tale. Um, and yeah, just kind of feel more myself when I'm at least walking in nature. And it's harder to find in the city, obviously, but it is there. And I think yeah. that's a really important thing for people to do. So I know um, I've only read your Into the Mist. I haven't read your new um, fairy tales yet, but I know that with them, uh, the main character was born in Australia, then moved to, to England kind of thing so um and you do have other books about different sites and obviously that's a very special place to you <laughs> um with your fairy tales are they based in Australia or are they overseas as well they are based in Australia and yeah lovely it was, it was kind of strange because I wrote six novels set mostly in England <laughs> um even though the main character was Australian so it was really nice to have it set here in the little park across the road and um yeah, the swan who transforms into a woman to help a little girl. So really she actually, the little girl lives pretty much where I live. <laughs> yeah, lovely. Because we don't see, um, I know a few years ago when I was working on uh, a novel that hopefully one day will become a thing, um, it was a, a young adult fiction based in Australia. And when I did a, um, a pitch for it one night, uh, what that focus on was the fact that there's not that many heroes that we have here based in an Australian landscape that really honour, you know, that rite of passage that we experience here in Australia. 
there's not as many um, fairy tale-ish, you know, magic books around what that looks like here, um, especially with that traditional connection to country and things like that. So can you tell us a little bit about um, your books? Like, well, one of the things that I'll get you to talk about is I know that your character has a specific way that she drinks her tea that I'm pretty sure <laughs> is also a way that Serene drinks her tea. <laughs> Actually, I don't have honey in my tea anymore. <laughs> but yes, I'll go with soy milk. <laughs> yeah, so how much of your character, does that, like where are you in your books, do you think? Is there a lot of you that comes through? I think so. Um, the first book I wrote was Seven Sacred Sites. So that was set um, in seven places around the world that had really changed and touched my heart um, and changed me. And it was because I was I was working for New Idea at the time and I was doing a spiritual column every week interviewing Dorian Virtue and whoever. Um, and then when I left that job, a publishing company asked me to write, you know, said, what kind of book are you going to write for us? And so I pitched that one wrote it um, and then uh, yeah I towards the end of the process I pretty much finished it but I gave the money back and asked if I could cancel the contract so I published it myself which was hard but awesome and I'm so glad I did it <laughs> um, and that um, then I did a journal about um, about journaling and but also about connecting with nature working with the moon cycles and creating a magical life for yourself um, and then I did the meditation CD mostly because I've always wanted to but never have been able to. <laughs> so <laughs> trying to do it but that way. Um, then I wrote Fairy Magic, Mermaid Magic and Witchy Magic with Lucy. And then my novels came out of pretty much out of the research for Witchy Magic because um, a lot of that, I mean, they're nonfiction, but there's a lot of our own stories and that I put into the fictional books. So a lot of the rituals that the girls grandmother does a real life rituals that I've done and yeah yeah no they really are um as a mum to a lot of children as those who are listening knows I have five and four of them are girls I've actually um encouraged my kids to read your books when they are getting towards that age where they might want to start practicing the craft just so they have an idea of the commitment for themselves but also like how they can use the different rituals for different um things that come up for them yeah so I do, I, I totally see, I, I see it as a bit of a resource, your books, actually. <laughs> it is funny because I've had people say there's more truth in your fiction than in all your nonfiction. Like it just, I don't know, I guess maybe it's an easier way for people to read about it or not sure. I do find that. Um, personally, I find that, you know, quite often fiction seems more real than nonfiction. <laughs> um with your, you mentioned the fact that you self-published that one. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your self-publishing journey, like just how that's evolved and developed for you? And Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and I will say now it's 100 times easier today for somebody to go down that path. So <laughs> that's really awesome. <laughs> if I'd started now, I wouldn't have a lot of, a lot of boxes in my apartment. Um I just thought I was writing one book and now I'm up to like 15 <laughs> so I've got lots <laughs> um but yeah it was I just um god I don't know how to say it anyway <laughs> I had the publishing deal but felt like I was going to be compromised somewhat in what I wanted to say and the way mm -hmm. I wanted to say it so um 
yeah, and they were very happy about good with letting me go. And um, what I what I know from my own experience with both self publishing and traditional publishing is that there is a very much a limitation on how financially viable you, your products are to you once you're in a traditional publishing agreement as well because you don't really have um the same control over when things are going to be available or how many are printed or like you know that kind of thing as well so um and often the marketing is more when you just launch like it's not like hey I think my dreamtime decks have been out for seven seven years now and they're, they're very rarely promoted by my because they're just not a current um title so I do think that there's benefits of traditional publishing, but there, if you actually want to grow a business that you have financial control over and that's making you an income, that's probably not the best avenue. <laughs> Unless you are going to just have a bestseller every single time that's like millions yeah. of millions of copies. Yeah. <laughs> and it was also amazing because a few years after that, ebooks kind of became a thing. And so I was able to, because it's so, seven sacred sites is so long, but I made an ebook of each of the sites. So yeah. that was seven ebooks that people could just buy one or buy all of them or whatever. So I wouldn't have been able to do that if it was traditional either. So <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> um, and then when I did the books with Lucy, she said we should do it through your publishing imprint. So they were blessed be books as well. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. And then. Um, Mermaid Magic actually came out in Japan, so we have a traditional contract for that one. And now I've signed traditional with for the deck, so I guess I'm Beautiful. hybrid now. Yeah, <laughs> hybrid. <laughs> I think hybrid's the way to go in a lot of ways. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, traditionally published authors doing really well who there's some books they prefer to do themselves or for whatever reason. Yeah, totally. So um, I, I've got a bit of an insider to when you started writing your novels because it was part of a write a novel in a month thing that we were a big group of. Um, but can you tell me how that went from you just, I'm going to write a novel in a month to now having this many young adult fictions? Like what what happened for you on the, on the inside, I guess, or the goals? Like was that always the goal when you started or did it morph itself? Or No, I'd never really thought about writing a novel. Um, my dad always said I should and I didn't know what it would be about. <laughs> um, and then as Lucy and I were finishing Witchy Magic, she was kind of like, oh, you know, I think we need to take a break. This is so much work. you know. And I said, oh, well, I thought I'd try this novel thing. So, you know, see how that goes. And I had no expectations. I thought if it's terrible, it doesn't matter. It's 30 days out of my life. Um, so it's a good experience no matter what. And it turned out to become something I really liked like and interestingly throughout the 30 days there were days I absolutely hated it mm. <laughs> and that's the same is true today of every book I write some days you hate what you've written you think it's stupid no one's going to like this why would anyone read this um, then other days you go back and reread the same package passage and say um no actually I kind of do like this and I guess maybe I don't plot either so a lot of people plot their books out and I envy them sometimes because they have it all worked out but I kind of discover the story as I'm writing so I guess maybe that makes it a bit harder that way too that some days the story is like I don't know how to do it and then I find my way by writing through it and just keep going. So, so when you finished the first one did you know as you were finishing it that you were going to publish it or did that kind of come was there a bit um, of a break in between or and then 
where did the second one come from? Was that part of the first? Was there parts that you were starting to no, imagine I, a second? Or? When I did it, I just thought this is just going to be one little novel and then I'll go back to nonfiction. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and my hubby really liked it and a few other people read it and loved it. So I ended up launching it the next May um, and I did a launch with Selena Fennick. Um, who's an awesome artist and awesome writer. <laughs> She's amazing. Um, yeah, so that was fun. And at the time it was just, yeah, just one book. And then as I was finishing the editing process, I thought maybe I could, well, actually, no, it was after I published it because I wrote on the front a novel so people would know <laughs> mm -hmm. that, it, that it wasn't nonfiction. Um, and so the next one, it was like book two of the Into the Mist trilogy. But, yeah, so I'm... Once I sell out of the ones of those I have, I can redo the cover with book one. <laughs> <laughs> so um, was it Selena that did the, the artwork that you use on the covers? Is that Yes. Yeah, yeah, they're um, beautiful artwork. I met her through, um, yeah, they're amazing. Met her through the Witchy Magic book because we'd used Jessica Galbraith for Very Magic and Mermaid mm. Magic, an American artist, but she um, had a change of beliefs and burned her artwork and didn't want us to use anything for witchy magic. So that was when Lucy and I approached Selena and all came out of that. And that's gorgeous because like I've got all three and I'd never even realised like the difference, if you know what I mean. Like I, I didn't, they, they just all go really well together on the bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so have you, if you've always been interested in writing, um, it, does that mean that like if you're doing it for work and then because you were working when you were doing your books weren't you like you had a job and the books yeah um how did you balance that if you're writing for work and writing for pleasure like do you have any ritual around what you do there or how you make sure that you don't overdo it or uh, no that's still a work in progress <laughs> <laughs> One of my lessons I think is not, and not that I've learned it yet, but I'm trying to find balance. Um, yeah, when I was writing those ones, I was the editor of all these kids mags at Bauer. So that was crazy busy. Um, and it did make it hard sometimes. I think that's why NaNoWriMo worked so well for me that I could just focus on those 30 days. And then sometimes I wouldn't write anything the next month, but I had the, the basis of it from that period. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's always hard. I've um, got a bit burnt out recently with my current job and, yeah, been a little bit crazy. So they're trying to change it so it's a bit less stressful for everyone. But, um, yeah, I have been a bit burnt out lately. Which is something that I think a lot of us can relate to. I know for me personally, um, I'm doing uni at the moment. I did four units. I thought that would be a great idea to get through the degree faster. With work and family, it didn't turn out like that <laughs> I felt like I was um pretty well trying to hold all the balls in the air the entire time mm -hmm. and um I what I find for me is art is something that I do to heal my soul like I can't put it any other way it's something that's very therapeutic for me but if I I also it's also something I also something I deny myself of if I feel like I haven't um I have to be in the place where I want to heal, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> the burnout isn't the place to be painting. I need to get through. And then, um, yeah. so this artwork that 
we were just talking about behind me that I did this week is the first artwork I've done since the start of this year and it I noticed that when I was trying to work as an artist like doing art for my work as well as doing art but I really struggled not to um get to the point where it no longer healed me when I did it yeah so I can totally relate to that and I know that I, a lot of my audience probably has similar things where when we enjoy something and we really like doing it we find it hard to put boundaries on how often and how much of our life that should consume yeah. <laughs> so yeah I'm definitely one of those people that'll stay up until three o'clock in the morning doing something I love <laughs> even if I have a, a client call at nine o'clock the next morning <laughs> <laughs> I also find, sadly, that my things are the things I give up if I'm busy somewhere mm. else, um, which then makes me quite resentful. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the Snow Queen's Daughter, I haven't, I wrote it more than a year ago now for an American box set with um, an anthology of different authors. Um, and I had to cut it down to 15,000 words for that. And so ever since I've wanted to expand it back out to the proper story. Um, and that's the thing that, keeps getting put to the side because everything else is more important which is kind of sad and yeah a bit depressing now I think about it <laughs> but it but it is something that happens and especially when we see it as something for us or something that we're doing because just for feeding our soul it is often something that we will just put aside until we feel like it, it's the right time for that or that we've I don't know for me it's a bit of deserve it which I know isn't right but it's like you've done the hard work now you can like it's like a treat, like a reward. <laughs> Absolutely. And yes, it, yet it's so important that we should be doing it to nourish ourselves the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any advice for anyone who may have a, a book in their head? They might be thinking, oh, maybe I could write a novel, but they're struggling with, um, you know, getting started on that. Like, do you have any advice for you? You said like the 30 days committing just to that was a really good one for you because it meant that you could just focus. I guess that was your project plan. 30 days, right, done. <laughs> so um, do you have any advice for anyone who might be looking at um, getting started? Yeah. I mean, I know it sounds silly, but the thing you have to do is actually right. And <laughs> because I do get asked every year at festivals and stuff, you know, how should I do it? And it's like, have you started writing it? No. Well, you have to start <laughs> yeah. um, and it doesn't matter if it's bad at first or you don't know where to start because that's what you figure out in editing like you should just start writing it out and even if you make 10 minutes a day for yourself to, to write even if you write one paragraph a day like that's the only way you're going to get it done um, um, because no one has time for anything um, <laughs> no matter what it is. And so if you want to do it and, you know, it's something that's important to you, you really have to prioritise it. And it doesn't have to be three hours a day or, you know, all day, every day of the weekend. It's just just make a tiny bit of time as often as you can and, and it will add up. And also the more you write, the more you want to write and the more you realise where it's going. And so that kind of makes it easier too. So I'm kind of an all or nothing person. So for me, I'm like, I want to do it in unbroken days because if I stop, oh my god, what will happen? Oh, <laughs> no, that way. <laughs> there's no, 
there's all kinds of different ways. You know, I had a friend who did 20 minutes a day and ended up with a book or somebody who writes one day a weekend and ended up with a book. So it just has to be what works for you. Um, but the amount of people who say they desperately want to write one and just don't, they don't even start, is kind of sad because what are you waiting for? Like now, now's the time and you have to make the time. Yeah, exactly. I, I see it with some of my um, Oracle card uh, students as well who want to make Oracle decks. And one of the first things I try and get them to do is have a real, real realistic look at what time they have available each week that they could do. And, and really realistically, like don't say you're going to be doing two hours every afternoon if literally you get to seven o'clock at night and you just want to go to bed, like a realistic one. And I'm someone who needs to get a project done as quick as possible, hence why four units <laughs> seem like a good idea. <laughs> um, but I know that that's because I really overcommit, I hyper-focus on things. So trying to get me out of that doing normal life things and then coming back to it just doesn't, it's not how I function, but I try and make sure that I accommodate for that. But then I've noticed that quite a few people um, don't feel like the time they have is enough and then it might take them a bit longer but 12 months later they're like oh my gosh I've done an oracle deck and it really didn't take away from everything else I was doing because they they actually got they were realistic about the time that they could commit to it yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. Um, and I'd also say if you find whether it's friends that you have in real life or online or in groups if you find somebody who's at a similar level or um, how far you've progressed it can be really helpful not everyone like you have to have a relationship I guess of some kind that you have similar whatever but it can be great to you know occasionally vent but also to encourage each other on um, can be accountable that way so you're less likely to (laughs) skip sessions if you know that somebody else is doing it with you yeah a project buddy is like fantastic it just I call it my personal cheer squad like I know that there's a cheer squad inside of me that'll keep me going so far. But if I write for three days and I still haven't seen anything on that page that fills me up or I feel like is what I want it to sound like, then someone else reading it saying, no, I totally get it. And then going, and so she's going to do this or he's like, that can just be all you need then to get back into being able to keep moving, you know? Mm. Like, yeah. So what would you say your biggest lesson in life has been so far? Just a little question. Um, Okay, well, trying to find the balance and the boundaries. <laughs> I'm terrible at personal boundaries, but I'm working on that. <laughs> um, and I guess I've always been really shy. I mean, that's why I started writing, because I didn't want to speak. <laughs> um, and so trying to overcome that, like there's been so many times when I've turned things down, which I know would have helped me and would have got my stories out, and but I'm just like, no, I'm too shy, interview someone else. Um so that's been hard because then I regret it. And I'm like, you know, I'm holding myself back from doing things. So about two years ago, somebody messaged me on Facebook and said, would you speak at this IndieCon? And so I typed back, I'm very nervous, but yes, I will send. Excellent. <laughs> so if, I, if I think about it, I'll talk myself out of it. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because like a year later, the Mel Robbins book came out, The Five Second Rule, where she's like, you just have to do it before you talk yourself out of it and I was like that's what I've kind of been doing like yeah 
worry about it later. Get nervous the day before it, but don't worry about it until then. <laughs> yeah, I went through a whole stage um, around the time that my grandma was sick and, and passing. She'd lived her whole life with a very fearful approach to life. Like she was very scared and anxious. And I would watch her regularly uh, not do something she wanted to or felt like she could because of um, that anxiety and fear. So while she was sick, um, it kind of changed a whole lot of things in me. I went and got my license at 40. I went on planes. I went and applied for jobs I'd never dreamed of. Like it was a real big thing for me. And it just so happened that um, what I told myself was, if it scares me, just say yes. Unless there's a real reason, not like an unsafe, as in like, you know, <laughs> don't, don't agree to something that's not safe, but like, if there's no logical reason why I'm fearful, just say yes. And the amount of things that changed in my life was amazing in just those four months. It was crazy. So I do think that sometimes we're so fearful because of how much things change when we just let go of the fear. Would you say that? Like, Yeah, absolutely. Because you've had a lot of change, haven't you, since you started speaking at things? Um. A little bit, but I mean, fear is such a weird thing too because like I travel all over the world on my own in my 20s and early 30s. Um, you know, I went to Brazil on my own and everyone's like, oh, my God, how could you do that? Weren't you terrified? I was like, no, but then other things, you know, the other thing with public speaking is that most people are scared <laughs> and, you know, like even the confident ones are nervous about it and um, I've had so many people say, oh, my God, I couldn't have done that like you spoke and I was like oh because <laughs> I always thought it was just me like I was this hopeless can't do it um, you know what's wrong with me but yeah everyone everyone's scared of something well you see I didn't even know you didn't like to public speak and I can think of how I'm just trying to think of how many writers and readers festivals we've had locally when I'm like oh you should get serene she's just <laughs> you wouldn't be getting calls and you're like oh no thank you <laughs> like no, no, get someone else. <laughs> um, so I guess my next uh, question, we're getting into the ones that I always love to ask now, is um, what's next for you? What's your next piece? And, and um, what's the dream? I don't know. I mean, I guess just continuing my life the way it is. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm happy with how it is and what I'm doing. Um, yeah, I'm hopefully a bit more balanced with work. Um, I'm finishing the edits on the first deck and starting another one. So that's exciting. And then I will definitely finish the fairy tale <laughs> after that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just more books, I guess. And I do have more fairy tale ideas and they're all, they're not retelling so much. They um, are original ones. So the next two are not set in Australia because it's all snowy and stuff. But after that, they all are. Because um, I think it's really important that we can connect with this country and the land here and that we have stories set here. So, I don't know, it's so weird. All the fairy tales are set overseas. <laughs> <laughs> they, they really are. It's a thing. Um, so, I mean, I was reading out your bio at the start and you have done a phenomenal amount of things, like, do you consider yourself successful? <laughs> I was talking to my hubby about this last night. Um, 
I feel successful in myself, but I think from an outside point of view, probably not. Like, you know, I'm not making thousands of dollars and never having to work a day job or any of that stuff. But to me, success is doing the things that I love, writing what I want to write. And I get letters and emails and people come up to me at festivals saying how much my books have helped them um, through grief or, or through finding their own voice or whatever. And that's, to me, that is successful which you know from an outside world probably not but that's why I do it and I was thought I was going to be a social worker when I was younger so I guess being able to help someone even in small ways is success to me yeah and I think that's been kind of echoed in nearly all of the interviews I've done there's some um people who would like more material success like they would like to have their home or they're like you know but as for their personal um, self-development paths, they consider themselves really successful because they've managed to, you know, complete those goals that they set for themselves and, and keep moving on to bigger and bigger goals for themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think that success literally depends on you and what whether or not you think you're doing the best you can. Um, do you have a big dream? Sorry, like if you could just... Like when you're sitting on your porch, on your rocker one day, <laughs> looking back on your life, what would you like to have seen there? <laughs> uh, I guess just more books. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. And um, I've done two trilogies in the Mist series, but there's a third one for Rose's story. So I'm going to get that done soon too. Well, soon, sometime. <laughs> you're going to have your own library. <laughs> Your little next to your little rock will be your own little library stand. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what advice do you wish someone had told you earlier, like earlier on in your life about the path to success? And I think you just kind of touched on it there with like material success and self thingy. But what what else, like if you went back to you, like say when you're finishing uni and stuff, like what do you wish you knew then that you've found out since then? I think maybe... I for a long time had this um, this thing that I wasn't enough on my own and that I had to do things for people to love me. Mm. Um, I remember crying a few years ago on the couch with a friend because we were talking about all this stuff and this thing came up and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I always thought I had to have an interesting job or be doing things or having success for people to love me, like for anyone. And, um, yeah, and that's not true. <laughs> no, it's not. And you're probably so much more loved than you think you are, in all honesty. (laughs) I know I've always really admired you and looked up to you um, right back from when the books were first starting. And then as I've learned more about you and we've talked more and I've seen more of your journey, like I I would love to have the success you have with your writing career. I really would. I think you've got every reason to be proud. (laughs) (laughs) And it is a relative, isn't it? Like, you know, my hubby and I went to see a band the other week and um, they the original band had broken up because they didn't feel successful and yet compared to so many others, they were successful. You know, it's all just what your level is and from the outside seeing somebody else's success is so different from being within it. Um, if you don't mind me asking as well, like I know that you and your husband have quite a great relationship, like you, you support each other and stuff and that he has his own successful you know, um, music, he, 
band as well. Um, do you think that's been important to have someone who has their own goals as well, like to be in a relationship with someone who obviously is pursuing their own dreams as well? I think um, definitely yes, but as much that we support each other and want each other to do well because it's heartbreaking. I've got friends whose husbands have never read a book and never cared who yeah. are wasting their time writing that, you know, it's just, it's awful. And we've both been in relationships in the past where we haven't been supported and we've kind of diminished ourselves to make them feel better about themselves. And so we didn't, didn't do all we wanted to do mm. because we were trying to hide and, you know, yeah. <laughs> make them feel good. So I just think, yeah, I mean, Jazz is my most incredible supporter. Um, I think he's read Into the Mist about eight times now. <laughs> uh, every time there's a new one, he reads the whole thing. And um, the only reason I wrote the second trilogy was because he said, I think you gave Rhiannon a hard time. I think she had her own story. And yeah, you know, so nice. I said, I'll write you a little story, you know, a little small book. <laughs> and that turned into a huge trilogy. So, yeah, and I'm the same with him. I want him to do well and, you know, I encourage him to do things and, yeah. Because I'm pretty sure that everyone at some time in their life has had a moment where they haven't done something or they've doubted their ability to achieve something or they've said no to something simply because they didn't have enough faith in themselves and their support group was not the best choice to have supporting them as in, you know, <laughs> saying, oh, it's just a hobby, you'll never, you know, you're not going to make a lot of money from it, so why even bother? And um I, I've I've had that in my own life at different times you know and I think that it's really hard to find the strength to pursue something and spend time emotion invest in it you know it's an emotional investment when you're working on a on a book or a deck or any whatever creative project music you know <laughs> songs whatever it is like it's an emotional investment and to have someone tell you that you'd be wasting your time because it doesn't to them uh, you don't have the ability to make it fantastic it is is really not what I would consider a good support group if you can't help it go and get a new cheer squad like even if that's the reality and you know you don't necessarily want to change that find a cheer squad, go and find someone who will just shake their pom-poms for you constantly. <laughs> it, I think we really underestimate how much that outside support, encouragement and being picked up when all the self-talk, self-doubt comes in is to the process. I, I do think there's people out there that should have done amazing things and they just haven't had the right person tap them on the shoulder and say, you can do this. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't even have to be within your small group. Like it can be people you find online. Mm. I'm in a couple of writing groups and a lot of people there are like, thank you. You know, I'm so grateful to you all because no one in my life is encouraging me. They're in fact actively discouraging me and you're the only reason I'm able to go on. Yeah. I, I think it's I so much more common than we think when you're first starting out, like, I'd love to be able to one day talk to um, some of the really, you know, famous faces that people just know straight away and ask them how many people told them. Like we hear it with JK Rowling and stuff, like people who were told you're not good enough who then went on to 
blow, blow it away, you know. Um, yeah. And I think there's probably everyone has that story. I think nearly every famous person in the world, if you actually talk to them, will tell you about someone who doubted them or someone who told them they weren't good enough or that they shouldn't bother. Yeah. So, um, and the only difference is they didn't believe them. Yeah. And I think too, if there are a lot of people saying you can't and you shouldn't, you, sh- you need to examine their motive in saying it. Mm. So I found quite often because they want to do it but can't or won't, they don't want you to. Even things like, you know, oh, you don't need to go to the gym again this week because they don't want to go to the gym and that you're making them feel bad, you know. So motives of of advice is always very interesting and where it's coming from. Um, And so uh, lastly, how would um, people connect with you? Where can they find you? Where do you hang out online? Are you on Instagram and Facebook? How can people Um, come and find out more about you and your books? uh, Yes, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I do have a Twitter account, but I never use it. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, yeah, websites, uh, serenekeneally.com and Instagram's instagram.com forward slash serenekeneally. And you have books and stuff available at the moment. Do you have your series available at the moment to purchase? Yes. Um, They're all on like Amazon and Book Depository and all those things or through my website. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your time and your expertise. Um, Like I said, I, I really am in awe of just what your career is like and just how much experience you have writing, self-publishing, um, the like magazine like your whole portfolio is pretty amazing so I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk on my little podcast thank you so much (laughs) you're amazing it's been great watching you over the years blossom and go into different things and writing and art and it's beautiful and and one day I'll work out what it is I want to be when I grow up so (laughs) it's fun along the way Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much for coming along. I think I'll cut it off there for the day. And I just want to thank you again for sharing all that. It was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Bye. Bye.